All right, good morning. Come on. Good morning. All right, well, I'm, uh, I'm Dan Pack, and I'm one of the elders here at Windsor Road. Um, our uh, Randy Boltinghouse, our normal pastor, is out of town, uh, so he asked me to fill in for him this week. Um, so if you're a visitor, what that means, especially if you're a first-time visitor, first of all, welcome. We're really glad that you're here. But more importantly, know that I'm not the regular guy, okay? So, um, you know, come back in July and hear Randy. Um, don't form any opinions about Windsor Road based on, uh, based on me this morning. Um, well, Randy and Sarah are, are in Turkey, and they've gone to Turkey to visit some friends, and um, I believe that Randy's also planning to visit some of the, you know, the seven churches of Revelation that, that he's been talking about, uh, places like Laodicea and Ephesus and Pergamum uh, and those kinds of things. Um, I don't know that there are any good golf courses in Turkey or any first century golf course ruins, but if there are, uh, Randy might find those as well while he's there, um, which reminds me of a story. And uh, it's a story that you've probably heard before. I think Randy's told it um, up here, but I'm going to tell it again because I like it. Um, and it's a story about a preacher um, who really loves to play golf. And he had been a bit busy and had not really been able to golf as much as he wanted. And this one particular Sunday, the weather was so perfect, and he wanted to get out on the golf course so badly um, that he decided he was just going to skip church. So he called in sick. Um, called up the elders or whoever and, and said that he wasn't going to be able to be there uh, and he went off to play golf instead. Well, I guess it was, it was also kind of a slow day at the pearly gates and so uh, St. Peter was, had some time to look around and he was watching and he saw what this preacher was doing. So he ran off to tell God. He said, Lord, Lord, did, did you see what's going on over here? You know, this preacher, this preacher is skipping out on his sermon to play golf. You know, can't you do something about this? God said, Peter, Peter, please, am I, am I omnipotent or not? You know, I'm going to take care of this. Don't worry about it. So Peter goes back, uh, and he has some time to watch, and he watches as the, as the preacher, um, you know, uh, tees it up on the first hole, and he's just waiting to see what's going to happen. You know, is it going to be a lightning strike, or you know, the sky's going to open and it's going to pour rain? Um, and as Peter watches, though, the, the preacher just plays the best game of golf he's ever played in his life. His drives are long and straight. He's making birdies left and right. He caps the whole thing off with the first and probably only hole in one of his life on the 18th. And, uh, and Peter's just flabbergasted. He can't believe it. So he runs back to God and, and says, Lord, what, what's going on? I was waiting for you to punish this guy. I thought you said you were going to take care of it. And God just looks at Peter and with a little twinkle in his eye says, yeah, I know but who's he going to tell about it? <laughs> All right. So Randy tells better jokes than I do as well. Um, so uh, the, the, the point how that relates to Randy and Sarah is that if Randy and Sarah are really not looking at things like this, we got the first slide there. So if they're really not looking at things like this, but instead are looking at something like this, then... Brandy might be having the very time of his life today, but uh, I expect we'll never hear about it. So, okay. So, do you know who this guy is? Who is that? Dwight. Dwight Schrute. Dwight Schrute is the assistant regional manager at the Dunder Mifflin, well, actually, he's not the assistant regional manager, is he? 
He's the assistant to the regional manager at the Scranton, Pennsylvania branch of the Dunder Mifflin Paper Company. Um, Dwight is a character on the TV show The Office. If you don't watch The Office, well, you should be watching The Office. That's, that's all I'll say about that. Um, but in real life, Dwight is a guy named Rain Wilson, an actor and a comic. And Rain Wilson is, um, in addition to being an actor and a comic, he's kind of a spiritual guy. He's not a Christian, he's actually a Baha'i, um, which is a different faith, obviously. Um, but he likes to talk about spiritual things. And so he founded a website called soulpancake.com. Okay? I have no idea what soul pancake means, so don't, don't come up to me after the service and ask because I, I can't answer. And if you figure it out, let me know. Okay? Um, but he's, he founded this, uh, this website, Soul Pancake, and the whole point of this website is to talk about the big questions of life. And so the central part of the website, at least for me, is this question collective. So if you look up on the sort of the top right, you'll see uh, question collective. You click on that, and it takes you to a page like this one. And each one of those little pictures represents a question. And there are pages and pages of these. Um, I know you can't see, but down here along the bottom, that goes up to page 67. So there are hundreds of these questions. And what happens is that anyone in the world, literally anybody that has a computer connected to the internet, can come onto this site and post a question that they think is interesting or important. And then anyone else in the world can come along and, and answer that question or discuss the question. Um, and there are all kinds of things that people talk about. I'll give you some examples. Um, go to the next slide. So some of the questions are, are the kinds of things that everyone has thought about in their life at one time or another. Um, you know, things like, is there a soulmate for everyone? Is there someone out there for me? These are actual questions that, that people posted, by the way. Um, if you could meet someone, if you could meet anyone, live or dead, who would it be? Um, and are we alone in the universe? Everybody's kind of wondered that at one time or another. Um, some of the questions tend to get a little deep and try to be philosophical. So, for example, beauty or truth? What's more important? Or how do we determine truth? What does truth even mean? Um, some of the questions are just for fun. So, Sasquatch. Is it a tall tale, a hoax, a monster, or just a reclusive species of ape? And believe it or not, two pages of discussion followed this question. Um, so somebody found it interesting. But more often than not, the questions are more of a spiritual nature. So for example, uh, why are people afraid to commit to a religion? Or is there really someone watching over you? And very, very often, the questions, if not, if not directly about Christianity, they relate to a Christian worldview. So for example, where exactly do we go when we die? Is there a heaven or a hell? Um, how does that work? Or if you believe in God or you don't, what would it take to make you change your mind? So interesting questions, and you can imagine the kinds of discussion that, that people will get into um, based on these questions. But there was one in particular question just about two or three weeks ago that really got my attention, and that question was this. Was Jesus' death suicide by cop? Was Jesus' death suicide by cop? Let me if you, if, make sure we all know what suicide by cop was. I wasn't exactly sure, so I had to double check. Um, here's the dictionary definition, and not dictionary, but uh, the official definition of suicide by cop, actually from suicidebycop.com. Um, but 
So the definition is, uh, suicide by cop is a colloquial term used to describe a suicidal incident whereby the suicidal subject engages in a consciously life-threatening behavior to the degree that it compels a police officer to respond with deadly force. Okay, so what that means is somebody who wants to die, but I guess is, can't quite do it themselves, will pull a gun or a knife on a cop knowing that the cop's going to respond by shooting him. Okay, so the question was, is, was Jesus' death suicide by cop? It's kind of a shock. Oh, let me, let me give you an example. This, this, this suicide by cop is... Um, it's sort of a buzzword that, that's caught on. It's been around in the media um, quite a bit. Um, and there really is a website called suicidebycop.com, which is actually for the police officers and families that have been involved, as well as the families of, of the victims. Um, so it's, it, it's quite a phenomenon. But this is, an, I know you can't read this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read the important parts to you. But this is a, we, uh, a news story from Fort Myers, Florida, at the end of April. Um, and it says, an extremely drunk man who wanted to kill himself instead had a Lee County deputy do the job for him, according to a report from the state attorney's office. Uh, the guy's name was George Vincent. George Vince, or Vincent's wife called 911 to report he was drunk, armed, and suicidal. Deputy Brian Pereira and other deputies encountered Vincent standing in the garage of his home with his mother, according to the report. Pereira could see a gun in Vincent's pants. He ordered him to put his hands up, but investigators say Vincent pulled the gun out instead. Uh, the deputies told Vincent to drop the weapon, but he suddenly raised the gun, pointing it towards the deputies. Pereira then fired five shots, three of which hit Vincent. His mother saw him raise the gun toward deputies and reportedly said, I don't think he shot, but he pointed it at him, and I know that was his way. He just wanted to die. Okay. So that's the phenomenon but suicide by cop is applied to Jesus' death? You know, to, to Christian ears, that's kind of a shocking statement. It's maybe even a little sacrilegious. Maybe I've crossed the line a little bit here. Maybe it's a little disrespectful. But from a secular point of view, it seems reasonable. I mean, at least to ask the question. The, the guy who posted the question was an atheist. And, you know, he had a point. He explained what he meant by the question. He said, look, Jesus went around doing a lot of things and saying a lot of things that intentionally provoked the authorities, both the Jews and the Romans. Um, and he could have done a lot of things to, to not be so provocative. I mean, he could have backed off a little bit on applying the Old Testament messianic prophecies to himself. Maybe the, the Pharisees wouldn't have been quite so upset with him. Um, he could have told Pilate that he wasn't the king of the Jews. At his trial, Pilate asked, are you the king of, Jew, the, king of the Jews? And Jesus could have responded, oh, well, king of the Jews, well, that's a little bit of a strong word. You know, I, I don't know that I would say king of the Jews, not in the way that Caesar's emperor. You know, I mean, when I say that I'm king of the Jews, it's really more of a, more of a spiritual kingdom that I'm talking about. So, so this king of the Jew things is really kind of a metaphor. right? And... That probably would have got him, got him released, but he didn't say that. And when he was on the cross, he could have come down off the cross at any time. He was God, the Son of God. He could have come down off the cross, called in an army of angels, wiped out his enemies right then and there, and been done with it. 
But he didn't do that. He didn't do any of those things. He went around provoking the authorities, knowingly, knowing that, he was go- that, that it was going to lead to his death, and even in some sense, desiring his death because he knew that his death would save us. So, again, from a secular worldview, maybe it's not such a bad question. The really interesting thing to me, though, was the kind of answers. Now, you've got to remember, anybody can go to this website and, and give answers. So, there are a lot of atheists. Um, there are a lot of Baha'is, because Rain Wilson is Baha'i, so there are a lot of people that are on this site. Um, there are a lot of kind of new agey spiritual type people who most of the time don't seem to know what they believe. Um, and there are a lot of Christians. There are all kinds of Christians. There are relatively liberal Christians, and there are some that are just you know, downright fundamentalists. Um, but as I read through the discussion and the kind of answers that people gave, nobody could answer that question. Was Jesus' death suicide by cop? Or rather, I should say, nobody could explain why that's not a good metaphor for Jesus' death. Not even the Christians could do it. Nobody could do it. Could you do it? If somebody asked you that question, could you explain to them what Jesus' death means? I mean, that, that is a critical question, don't you think? Um, I mean, we need to understand the answer to that question, not only so that we can be prepared to give a reason for the faith, uh, for the hope that we have, but, but also for ourselves. I mean, whenever we sing songs like Jesus Paid It All, we're, we're, we're singing, Jesus paid it all, all to him I, I owe. What is it that we mean when we say Jesus paid it all? Um, or when we, when, we, when we thank God in our prayers, when we pray, thank you, God, for dying, for, or thank you, Jesus, for dying for my sins, what is it that we mean when we say that? Um, or every Sunday when we take communion and we remember what Jesus did on that, on that Friday, it's critical that we understand what he did so that we're remembering correctly, we're preparing ourselves correctly to take communion. So, so how are we gonna answer that question? What is it that Jesus did on the cross? And maybe we should look at the Bible. It's not a bad place to start. So there are a lot of verses that we could go to. Here are three that are just sort of maybe the more, the more co- common ones that someone would go, go to to answer this question. Excuse me. Um, all from Paul. And Paul writes to the Romans, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And in 1 Corinthians, for what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And in 2 Corinthians, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So we go around saying things like that all the time. It's kind of church speak, right? Jesus died for me. Jesus died for my sins. Jesus became sin for me. But do we really understand what that means? I mean, here's the problem. Here's God over here, and God is holy and righteous and perfect. And here we are down here. We're sinners, Um, I'm a wretch, sinful, and because of my sin, Paul says the wages of sin The wages of sin are death, right? Because of my sin, uh, I face eternal separation from God. So God's perfect and holy. I'm down here a sinner. There's no way that I can cross that divide. 
So Jesus died. Well, God is still holy and I'm still a sinner. So what does Jesus' death have to do with my sin? That's the million dollar question here. That's what this guy was asking um, on on Soul Pancake. Essentially, he was asking, what does Jesus' death have to do with my sin? And, And you know, just to back up a little bit, when I was talking about the, the kinds of answers people gave, you know, here was, here was an atheist talking, asking a question with a lot of, of seekers, a lot of non-believers listening, and he's asking the question, can someone please explain to me the heart of Christianity? Can someone explain to me the gospel? I'm listening. And nobody could do it. Nobody could tell him what... Jesus' death has to do with his sins, or my sins, or your sins. Um, right. So, to, to, to answer that question, we've, we had some of these verses, but I want to look at 1 Peter. Um, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 21 to 24. Um, that's on page 858 of the Pew Bibles that are in the back of the seat in front of you, uh, if you want to look that up. Um, it's also going to be here, on, it is here on the screen. Uh, you can follow along there if you want. But what we're going to see in these verses um, is that Peter, three different times in, in these four verses, Peter tells us what it is that Jesus did on the cross and then why he did it, or, or what he did and what he accomplished through his death. So 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 21 to 24. Uh, It says, to this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Okay. So three times he says what it was he did, and then three times he gives us the answer. Um, What is it that he did? The three times should be on the next slide. Okay, so what did he do? Um, In verse 21, it says that Christ suffered for you. The first part of verse 24 It says, he bore our sins in his body on the tree. And then at the second half of verse 24, he was wounded. Okay, so when when Peter says that that Jesus suffered and that he was wounded, we know what he's talking about, right? We know this story. Um, He's talking about about Jesus' passion. He's talking about uh, his, his arrest and his trial and his crucifixion. He's talking about him being... Um, being stripped, whipped, beaten, punched in the face, spit on, and nailed to a cross. And as gruesome as that is, I don't think that the physical suffering was the worst of what Jesus went through. There was something that was much worse than the physical suffering, uh, than the physical pain. And, And Peter tells us what that is in verse 24. He tells us right there, he bore our sins in his body on the tree. Remember the million-dollar question. What was the million-dollar question? What does Jesus' death have to do with my sins? And there's the answer right there. He bore our sins in his body on the tree. 
So the, the, the big word for today, I have to work a theological word in here somewhere, just have to, and so it's vicarious substitution, all right? So we're gonna, I'm gonna pretend I'm Randy, and you're gonna, you're gonna say vicarious substitution. So this is how Randy does it, okay? One, two, three, vicarious substitution. Again, one, two, three, vicarious substitution. Okay, good, you can tell him I did that when he gets back. All right, but Jesus' death was a vicarious substitution. It was substitutionary. What that means is, is basically this. It means I have sinned, and the penalty for my sin is my death, right? We all know that. But what happened is God took my sin away from me, and he put it on Jesus, okay? And he took your sin away from you, and he put it on Jesus. And he took all the sins of all the world, and he put them on Jesus. And here's the key. In that moment, when Jesus was there on the cross, God looked at Jesus, and he did not see his perfect, holy, righteous, sinless son. When Jesus, in that moment, when when God looked at Jesus on the cross, what he saw was sin. He saw my sin, and he saw your sin. He saw all of our dirty thoughts, all of our dirty deeds, all of our dirty words, all piled on top of Jesus in that moment. And because of those sins, Jesus died. And when he died, he was paying the penalty for all of those sins, for my sins and for you, your sins. And listen carefully to what I said. I said he was paying the penalty. Not a penalty, not just any penalty. He was paying the penalty, the very penalty that is yours, that's mine, that belongs to the, anyone who's a sinner, which is everyone. He paid the exact penalty for my sins. He substituted himself, his death substituted for my death. And, and, and so when he died, the penalty was paid, it's done, it's finished. Okay? Amen? All right. All right, so that's what he did. So why did he do it? Um, again, Peter's going to tell us three times what, what Jesus accomplished on the cross. In the first case, he said that, uh, that Christ suffered for you to leave you, in, leaving you an example. So he left us an example. That's an important part of, of, of what Jesus did. But now the word that Peter chose to mean example, he could have chosen several different words, but the word he chose is, was somewhat unique. And in, in the Greek it's, you know, forgive me, Todd, if I say this incorrectly, but it's hupogramon, okay? And it basically means example, but literally it means a model to be copied in writing or drawing, okay? So this is a hupogramon. In the first century, they would use that word to talk to, to, to mean the patterns that a child would copy over and over when they were learning to read or write. Okay, and so this is a hupogramon. My kids, uh, your kids, in preschool and kindergarten have probably done stuff like this, right? You you look at the hupogramon, you look at the example, and you copy it down. You trace over the letters very carefully until you've taught your hand how to make those letters. And then maybe you move on to the next step where the teacher writes something on the board or you have a sheet that you're looking at and you look at that example, you look at that pattern, and you copy it down. You look at the pattern and you copy it down. That's what Peter meant when he said that Jesus is to be our example. 
We should look at Jesus and imitate Jesus. Look at Jesus and imitate Jesus. The way he walked, we walked. The way he talked, he ta- we talked. The way he loved, we love. And, and that's why here at Windsor Road we do things like, um, like partnering with Salt and Light and with Restoration Urban Ministries. Okay? And that's why we send teams of Windsor Roaders to the Dominican Republic um, and to Peru and to the Ukraine. The, the DR team is leaving on Tuesday this week. I think after the service here, we're gonna, we're gonna, have, we're gonna pray over them. Um, that's why we send them out, because Jesus is our example. Um, that's why uh, we do this weekend of service that's coming up in October. Randy's talked about it a couple of times. I'm gonna mention it again. I hope you've got it on your calendar already. <clears throat> October 17th and 18th. We're not even gonna be here in the building on Sunday the 18th. We're gonna be out in the community. We're gonna be serving people and showing them, basically showing them Jesus' love. And we do that because that's what Jesus would do. He's our example. But he's more than just an example. He's an example, but it's more than that. And Peter gives us a hint there when, when he says, um, Jesus died, sorry, Jesus suffered for you, leaving you an example. He could have just said, Jesus suffered, Christ suffered, leaving you an example. And that would have made perfect grammatical sense, and it it makes sense, but he didn't. He said, Jesus suffered for you, leaving you an example. And so that for you is important. It says that there was something, you know, his suffering was more than just an example. Somehow he suffered for us, right? And um, he goes on then in, in the next couple of verses to talk about how Jesus suffered but then in verse 24, he comes back to that for you part. It's like, it's like he just can't get, he can't get past this without stating the gospel one more time. And so in verse 24, Peter says more about what he means by this, this for you. When he's talking about Jesus being our, our example. And so it's an example of what? It's an example of how we might die to sin and live to righteousness. And John Piper um, I think many of you are probably familiar with John Piper. He's a pastor at a, at a church in Minneapolis. Uh, he's also an author. He's written quite a few books. He's the guy that does uh, desiringgod.org or com, whatever it is. Um, but, but John Piper says that this, sometimes this, this um, you just took it away from me. Um, this, this might sound like the, the good news, bad news bit, right? That, that, well, I've got some good news and I've got some bad news. The good news is that you've been released from the guilt of your sin. The bad news is now you have to live righteously. Right? But, but that's not what, what Peter's talking about. And, and Piper goes on to explain what he means. Um, do we have it on the, there we go. So Piper says, would it really be good news if the Bible taught that the death of Christ uh, took away the guilt of sin and left us enslaved to its power? If that sounds like good news to you, that you could go on living the way the world does only without punishment, then what it shows is that you love sin and not God. But if you long to be set free, not only from the guilt of sin by the cross, but also from the enslaving power of sin by the cross, then these verses don't diminish the good news, they double it. So what, what Piper is saying is that, is that um, you know, sin, sin seems attractive sometimes, right? Sin can, uh, can be a lot of fun. 
Am I the only one that feels that way? I won't ask you to raise your hands, but, um, but, but sin can be attractive, at least in the short term. But we all know, many of us from our own painful experiences, that, that in the long run, sin is self-destructive. It always comes back and smacks you in the face, right? And that's sin's lie. But, but what Peter's saying here, and what Piper, the point that Piper is making, is that, is that Jesus' death has, has both removed the guilt of our sin and freed us from a life of sin. We don't have to live that way anymore. Um, so rather than, rather than a new burden being placed upon us, we should think of this uh, being, being free from sin and, and living to righteousness as, as being released uh, to, to live the way that God would have us live. And then, uh, as I get to the end here, um, the last point I want to make is that uh, this also may sound like a conditional offer. That verse, the first half of verse 24, may sound like a conditional offer. It may sound like, well, if you die to sin, and if you live righteously, then your sins have been taken care of. Okay? But that's not what it means at all. Um, note what he says in, verse, in the second half of verse 24. Peter goes on to say, by his wounds you have been healed. Now think again what he didn't say. He didn't say, by his wounds, he made healing possible. And he didn't say, by his wounds, you've been offered healing. He's talking to Christians here, but he says, by his wounds, you have been healed. It's a done deal. It's in the past. It's taken care of. Um, Jesus' death is efficacious. There's another big uh, theological word for you. But Jesus' death is efficacious. His, His purpose will be achieved. And there's, there's nothing uh, that can stop it. Piper sums it up by saying, um, the cross does not merely create new possibilities, but it creates new persons. Good. So, um, as we get ready to, uh, to take communion, let's, uh, let's remember why it is that Jesus died. I mean, yes, he died on purpose, but his purpose was to save his people. His death was a sacrifice. Um, God demands a punishment for sin, and that punishment is our death, is my death, it's your death. But Jesus took that sin away from us, took it into himself, and paid the penalty for, for that very sin. He died my death and your death. He substituted his death for ours. Um, and as a result of that, we're no longer guilty. And in fact, we're, we're not, on, not only are we no longer guilty, but we're righteous as well. That's a sermon for another time. But, but just as our sin was taken from us and given to Jesus, his righteousness was ta- not taken from him, but was extended from him to us, and we were made righteous. So the bottom line, the take-home message, if you don't remember anything else I've, that, I, that I've said this morning, please remember this. This is the bottom line. Because God looked at Jesus on the cross and saw sin, now... When God looks at us, he sees Christ. Amen? And that should be good news. Heavenly Father God, Lord, I just praise you um, because you are, you are holy and righteous. Um, you are perfect in all your ways, um, including your justice. You are perfectly just. Um, and, and because of 
Because of your justice, you demand a price to be paid. But at the same time, God, you're perfectly loving. And so I thank you for your love. Um, You loved us so much that um, rather than leave us in sin, you made a way, um, a way for us to be reconciled to you. And Lord, you did that by, um, by the sacrifice of your son, whose death substituted for my very death. Thank you, Lord. Um, thank you, Father, for, um, for being merciful and, and full of grace. Thank you, Jesus, for, for your sacrifice that saves us. Um, and thank you, Holy Spirit, for your, your indwelling presence that, that, that brings God uh, into our lives. And now, Lord, I just ask that, uh, that you would help us Help us be an example. Help us be, or help us follow Jesus' example. Help us to be Jesus um, and, and to grow more and more in that example every day. In Jesus' name, amen.